Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives I'm so excited for today's episode with Katie Sposs But before we get into it, let's talk about Prevenex Prevenex has just been killing it I've been using them for a year and a half now And I am so glad Joint Health Plus, what a godsend My goodness, it is really, really something I'm back in action I've been running now for almost a solid two months I have my mileage all the way back up to where it was before, maybe even a little bit more. I'm kind of in the low 40s right now. Not as fit and fast as I was before the three-month hiatus from injury, but I'm just so glad that I'm here, and I'm feeling so good. My legs are feeling great because of Joint Health Plus, and it's just awesome. But let me tell you. Don't just take my word for it. Take some of your words for it. Some of you have left reviews on their website who have used my code. Christy F is a great example of this. She is age 43. Here's what she had to say. I've been dealing with occasional joint pain from running. I started taking the Joint Health Plus and was so pleased with the result. After two weeks, I started noticing a difference. I would recommend this product to all of my running friends. And that's exactly what I'm doing, recommending it to you, my running friends. So go over to Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order today. Katie Spots. Man, this woman is absolutely incredible. She crossed the Atlantic Ocean in a kayak in 70 days. She's run across almost every state in New England. She has biked her bike across the United States. And recently, she did 11 ultramarathons in 11 days to cross the state of Ohio. Needless to say, this woman is a complete badass. So let's get into it with Katie Spots. All right, Katie Spots, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. You're doing so many cool things. I've had a lot of people on this show. So we have now put out 352 episodes. Some of those episodes were just with me. So besides those, we've had some remarkable people on this show who've done remarkable things. You, I think, can now take the cake, maybe take the cake out of all the amazing people in terms of accomplishments that you've done. I want to like run through them, but... I don't want this to be a Joe Rogan podcast that lasts for three hours. I will just say this, however. You have run almost across almost every state in New England. You have gone across the Atlantic Ocean in like a super kayak. You have now gone 11 days, 11 ultramarathons in a row. They were all 50Ks, I think. Uh-huh. It was You've done remarkable things. Katie Spots, when did you realize that you were capable of doing what other people deemed as simply impossible? Okay, so here's how it started. Ready? Ready. I really was terrible at team sports. I was a bench warmer. This is where it begins. At what age? What age are we talking about? We're talking like, what, 12, 13, 10? Okay, so middle school. Middle school age. Yeah, so people are getting really competitive, and I'm like, hey, I'm just here for fun. I and, And the thing is, if you sit on the bench for long enough, you start to believe it's because you belong there. So by the time I was like 15, 16, I was like, oh, I'm just not athletic. That's just not for me. So I avoided it and I I made the story up that that's just, yeah, that's, that's the script. I'm following it. I learned my lesson. And so I had to take one gym class to get my high school diploma. And so I went through the list. I was like, no team sport, no team sport. I was looking for my easy A, and there it was, walking, running. And so I was very frustrated, didn't want to take this class. So I tried to petition to get out of it, couldn't do that. So I show up doing the bare minimum effort, and then out of sheer boredom, I'm like, huh, I wonder if I could run one mile. And there was no pressure. I had no one to let down if I couldn't do it. It wasn't stressful if I couldn't make it no big deal. And so I was just so bored out of my mind running and or walking in circles that I was just like, huh, maybe, maybe I'll try to run one mile. And so it wasn't pretty. I like my approach was I just want to run as fast as I possibly can to get it over with. And because I think I might not make it right, like just, just go. And, um, 
I did it. It didn't necessarily feel the greatest, but I gained, and people will still say just a mile, but just a mile is just enough for you to be like, whoa, I never thought I could do that. And I did. So what are all the other things I'm saying I can't do that maybe I can? And that's where the seed was planted by running one mile. Okay. Let me, this is, I want to get, put some context to this. So did you have like athletic friends, family members, parents, or were you living like in this cocoon of like, we just don't move around the people that, that I associate with? Um, I would say that it's more in the, you're only running if you're running from something. Like, why would you do that? And like, I read and heard about marathons, but I didn't know anyone who did it. So here's what I knew about marathons. Back, 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 history, history, history. Someone had to deliver a message and then they died. So we're going to all do this and hopefully not die. That's a marathon. And so as a 16, 17 year old looking to do these things, I had this thing of like, I see what's on Runner's World magazine. I'm not that. I'm not a twig and I'm not a Kenyan. So like I very young, I didn't really know anything about endurance. And I would, I mean, some of my friends did like volleyball and soccer, but not endurance. So it was definitely a whole new world um, that I was, was, was getting into. But I mean, I finished my one mile the same way people finished their first marathon. I was just like, what? My body can do that? And then when I did two miles, what? Two miles? Like, I just wanted to tell everyone I did it, but I definitely wanted to because it was like, whoa. Did you ride your bike? Did you ride your bike as a kid? Because we know we, this is obviously a running podcast and, and we'll, we'll focus a lot on that, but you've done some amazing things on the bike as well. So was that, was that part of your repertoire or did that kind of come later? Were you like a 21 year old with the tricycle or what, what was the, what was the biking situation like? Well, the biking situation started from running. So running my first marathon and then I was like, Oh, I want to do an Ironman. And, and, and I, I read, like I heard about it and that was the natural, like, kind of progression of the running to an endurance. And so that was, Oh, I don't, I'm, I've ridden a bike as a kid, but I haven't, I've never, I don't even own a bike right now, but I, you know, yeah, I, I, I know what it's like to drive, ride, ride to my friend's house, ride to school. So my, this will, this is testament to how little I knew about what I was getting myself into because I went home after doing that marathon, went to my dorm and, um, I signed up, to, I thought, okay, well, if I want to do an Ironman, I have to learn how to ride a bike again and get good at that. So my next step was to bike across America because that would prepare me for doing an Ironman because I needed to learn and get more comfortable on the bike. So I went That's... from a marathon to biking across America. And then a week later did my first half Ironman. That's a really interesting logic. Yeah. <laughs> like, in order for me to have lunch, I need to be on Top Chef. <laughs> then I will have lunch. Um, <laughs> like that because that's why I swam the Allegheny. I did a 300 miles, 325 miles swim. And then I got distracted, eventually did the Ironman. But yes, there was, there was a lot of detours. I I can I feel like I can get stuck in the cul-de-sacs of the tangents of this conversation and never get to any of the things that we talked about that we were going to discuss today because even right now I have like 5200 follow-up questions from just like the five things that you just said right there. Um before we get to all of that. So, all right, so you ran this you run this 1 mile. It was a paradigm shifting moment, okay? So, obviously that's that's, that's how you brought it up. So, what happens then, right? Was it was it an immediate or was it kind of a slow burn from that point on? Okay, so I am aware of what it is now, but like, you know how you get that metal mouth? Like, mm. because you're pushing so hard and something's like bursting in your lungs, uh, whatever. Maybe you know the real science. Oh yeah, anyone who listens to this has done like a 5K or something, they're doing completely anaerobic and they can feel yeah. in the back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I was like, wow, okay, I, I clearly don't know how to pace myself. So it 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 definitely like took me time and um it wasn't like 
even now, if I don't run for a while, like sometimes it takes a little bit to get back into it. But I would say that people are driven for many reasons to different things. And the driving factor again and again and again is curiosity. I want like a kid. Kids are curious. Can I climb this tree? Can I get to the top of this? Can I, is this possible? Is that not, not possible? And like, that is what's so cool about running. I never did basketball and volleyball and got to say, is it possible? It's, you're either going to win or you're going to lose. But with running, you get to constantly answer this question of possibilities. What is possible? What is real? What is true? What are, how, how far can our bodies go? How, and so, yeah, I think endurance and running and any type of endurance. I mean, my, my main thing is running, but yeah, endurance could be swimming and cycling and rowing and rollerblading and everything. But, um, yeah, just a little bit, you crossed again, for people who are listening to this, you crossed the Atlantic ocean and basically a modified kayak. My family, like it was kind of expanded. So like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I you, like how you presented it. It's so funny, like so offhand. Yeah, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, but with that said, we're prior to these athletic feats or even going down the road of going after some of these athletic feats and the, the curiosity. And I can't talked about the other things that have driven you in the past. Um, were you used to being uncomfortable as a kid in certain ways? Obviously, someone doesn't have to be part of athletics to accomplish that. Sometimes it's someone can grow up on a farm and be like used to being very uncomfortable and, and, and create like this kind of like willpower and, you know, motivation and stuff like that or a whole different other things. Like were you part of this is like being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that obviously is, there's a big part of that in a lot of what we do when we're tackling longer endurance events is, and does any part of that resonate with some of your earlier childhood or even teenage years? Yeah, so I have two older brothers. And, um, you know, a lot of my older brother's friends would be around. So I'm trying to keep up in night tag with people that are four years older than me. And um, I I, I was raised in kind of like a free range home, like come back when it's dark, here's food, you could go have fun. And so I I mean, my parents, I was safe and, and, and safety, of course, but generally like fun, there was a emphasis on fun and, and going outside. But I would say that like, just because I had two older brothers, I was always used to trying to keep up. And I know some people might be defeated by that, like, oh, I'm left behind. But instead, I was like, no, I could keep up. And and so it was a fun thing, but I was always so used to that fun little challenge of keeping up with the bigger peoples. And so, yeah, I think, it, yeah, it was fun trying to keep up. I'm trying to remember like the, the, the study, but it was like something like they looked at all of the world record holders, men's and women's for the 100 meter dash, like going back a century. And like on average, each one was like the sixth out of seven children. In their family. <laughs> really? Yeah. So like the same sort of thing. Whoa, that's wild. Well, I mean, there are other things about birth order. I read this book called Birth Order, whatever, like, and it was talking about, I think I, I mean, if you want to do it based on birth order, I am the oldest female and usually oldest female and I have a younger sister. So oldest female usually has leadership qualities as like the oldest. And then because I have a younger sister, there's always the little star for attention, middle person. So I think some of those dynamics make for like someone who's like, Oh, I want to achieve stuff. So maybe, I mean, it's a theory, something to play around with, but I definitely don't feel shorted by you know and and really excited by how i've been able to use whatever cards that were dealt but yeah yeah no absolutely all right so to walk us through the evolution right so we you had that mile you run that mile and then it's this was it what this, was it a springboard effect or was it a gradual progression um so it started with one and then probably the next week it was two and then the next week it was three so 
it was probably adding one mile every single week. So yeah, I would say it was. And then once I reached 10 or 13, that's when I started playing around with maybe a marathon, maybe like, really, if I'm already at half and the double digits and like, so were you in high school at this point still? Um, so there's this, yes, but there's this thing called like post-secondary enrollment option where you take, um, college classes when you're in your senior and junior year. So that's the real only reason I had to take that gym class because I wasn't getting it through the associate's degree. And and so, yeah, I was kind of like trapped in that little, got to take that one gym class. So yeah. Oh, interesting. Was, was this like, was this a public school or was this a private school? Uh, it was public, but it's a program that a lot of people can do. You could take one or two classes, a few classes, or you can do your whole thing. When you're a junior and senior, you could start. I went to like a local community college, so. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. I don't, funny. I personally don't know anyone who's done that before. That's why I was curious. I've never, as someone who worked in higher ed for 18 years, you would think that I have a better understanding of something like this, but. Post-secondary enrollment option? No. Wow. No, man. I'm, yeah. I'm slipping. Maybe I didn't. I forgot it. Maybe I'm just filled. Maybe my head's just filled with running now. And I've forgotten all my college and university stuff. Um, but anyway, what are you going to do? So so this is like a pretty quick buildup. So you're going 13 miles. You're doing some pretty cool stuff there. Um, did, it, did you, was this still a curiosity for you at that point? Or when did it start to change from like, I'm pursuing something as opposed to, I'm just kind of figuring this out and, you know, it's just part of this, this, this other thing that I have going on. Uh, so by the end of the semester, when that's when like I signed up for the race and signed up for the marathon. And, um, I think it was like Hal Higgins plan, just Googled it, followed it. And that's, that's really, and found a few books at the library about it, but that's as far as my, my training and my, you know, my plan went. I love that. Every single person who's been on this show, I think, has their first marathon was the Hal Higdon plan. I actually had Hal on the show. And I told him that. I was like, for the, the 250 people who've been on this show, thank you for your free plans. Because it, <laughs> it, it, it jump-started all of them to their first marathon. I just sent it to one of my friends doing her first half marathon. I'm like, yeah, that's what I did. It worked. Yeah, it's funny. He's like, he's this guy just sitting there just doing his own thing. And it's like... Three million people have done the Hal Higdon plan. It's just sitting there on the internet. Um, all right, so this is wild. All right, so when was, what year did you graduate high school? 2005. Okay, all right, got it. So you're doing stuff, you're signing for a marathon, which is like, were you aware at that point that like normally 18-year-olds don't run marathons? Usually like 22-year-olds don't run marathons. So like, were you aware of that, you know, I don't even know the right word, but it's not its not really congruent with what a lot of runners would be doing at that age. Were you aware of that or were you not aware of it? Um, I became very aware doing ultras as a 20-year, like in my 20s, because some of the age groups were like 20 to 39. And then it would be like 40 to 45, 45 to 50. And I was like, what? Like 22 decades? And so... Um, in the, I mean, I guess I don't really think of that that way. Like, I, I'm like, what do I want to do rather than what is everyone else doing? And I already was in college as a high school student. So I was already surrounding myself with people who are older as well. So, um, yeah, I never really thought about it. it. It did become more clear who was doing what. Like, especially in Ironmans, like, uh, being female was, that's definitely a male dominated sport. I think with marathons, the spread is more equal between male and female, but cycling events, triathlons, um, ultras seem about the same, maybe a little bit more males, but. So you seem like a really independent person from what seems to be a pretty early age was running a was running ever a social endeavor for you or was it purely like, all right, I have my goals. I have my curiosities. I have these things that I want to accomplish and challenge myself or, or was it kind of a mix of the two? I mean, running has become social, but in the beginning I didn't have that need. Like 
Um, and even now I do have a social life outside of running. So I don't feel like I need to run. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yo, for sure, for sure. I mean, there's definitely people who, especially early on for them, like it's like they got into it because of the social component. Right. So it's like, oh, I could I could exercise a million different ways, but I got to run because I became part of this group or like and I'm like, all right, I don't. Maybe I'm a little bit older when I start running and I don't have like a connection to like the, the adults around me. And like the running group gives me that as opposed to like going to Planet Fitness, running on the treadmill or just running down the bike path all the time. Right. So there's some there's definitely a lot of people who listen to the show or who've been on the show who expressly get into it, not even get into it, maybe elevate their their running life in part because of either connecting to the runners around them or because of the runners around them and then introduce them into like, hey, have you ever thought about doing X or let's give this a try or we'll do this together. Um, and I definitely think that a lot of people have had that kind of experience, but it seems like you elevated pretty quickly into some of this higher level stuff from an endurance perspective. Yeah, out of all of my experiences, so I've done ultra running, ultra cycling, ultra swimming, triathlon, and yeah, like different adventures, which are just like purely out there in nature doing things. But out of all of them, I think triathlon was probably the most social and I almost needed that just because I needed that competition to push myself in a way that like I was kind of more driven towards times and in in triathlon and I think swimming is sometimes harder to get into and and so I felt like I needed the energy of others for more competitive things but I get so much joy in nature and it's like meditative and in ultra running like so my last running event, running 11 ultra marathons in 11 days across Ohio, if I would have done that with people that I would, I think that would have been very dangerous because I needed to constantly listen to my own body and I needed it to not be a race. And so because I do know I can be competitive, I think sometimes ultra running, the best thing for me is to do it alone so I don't get carried away pushing too hard or not checking in with my body, not listening because your body's always telling you something. And a lot is happening through ultra running. A lot is changing your body and all the movement. So I think the longer the distance, the more I, I might need to listen into how my body is doing. Let's talk about that. Cause I, I mean, obviously, yeah, I would agree with you. What you just said is an uncontroversial statement. Of course, you have to listen to your body. And I can definitely get the importance of that. At the same time, there are plenty of times when my body is telling me, hey, <laughs> it's like it's time to stop. Let's walk. Maybe let's just stay home today. Right. Like, And that's when I'm feeling fresh and recovered. So here you are doing these remarkable things out there for days at a time, hours at a time. And when you're talking about that dialogue or listening to your body, you're just going back and forth with how you're feeling and connecting that to what you want to accomplish. How have you learned to interact with that inner monologue and when to listen, how to listen, and when to basically like give it like, you know, the, the, the stiff arm and be like, no, no, nobody, we're not doing that right now. You got to be quiet. Yeah. So like, yeah small adventures, big adventures. And the assumption is maybe the bigger adventure is more challenging. But that is why my first marathon might have been the most difficult challenge. Yes, I just ran 11 ultras in 11 days. But still that first marathon, I had to learn what to do with, oh, I don't think I can or oh, this is hard or oh, I don't think I, you know, just ugh, all the junk that might, like, there's the activity. And then there's that the junk in the head. And I think, yeah, the first marathon was my first experience of knowing what to do with all of that um, doubt or frustration or um, yeah. So can you give us an example of, of, of what happened in that first marathon? Um, I mean, there's a lot of emotion like, oh, did I make a mistake? Or who am I to think I could do this? Or did I train enough? Or who else is like me? Or 
like, are, am I pushing too hard? Am I going to hurt myself? You know, am I, is this going to be embarrassing if I can't do it? Are you sure? Is my body really meant to do this? Is this, am I, yeah, like, or, oh, this is hard. Is this supposed to feel this way? Is this, like, do I stop? Do I keep pushing? Um, so I heard it at the beginning and I knew, I, I've kind of learned how to talk to it or, or it's kind of been replaced with something else. Like I kind of in the early days was like, Oh no, I feel like quitting. So that must mean I, I should quit because you never quit unless you feel like doing it first. And now I'm just like, Oh yeah, that might happen, but it will pass. So, and, and generally 90% of the time I'm like loving life. It's fun. And, and I get all those endorphins and it's exploring and yeah, every so often that comes and that arises and that's just kind of like taking the, you know, the bad with the good or, or, and so I don't really take it personally. I don't necessarily, um, yeah, I, I, I basically give myself permission to feel like it's hard when it's hard. And, and that's kind of like a natural thing. Um, so it's not, it's not a problem. It's just like, Oh, this is part of the process. If it, you do hard things, it'll feel hard for a little bit and then you'll get your runner side eventually. And, 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 and so before this last adventure, the real question is when am I pushing too hard rather than, and, and that's the conversation was, okay, I don't necessarily need someone being like, push, keep going. I need someone to be like, stop lady, you're going to hurt yourself. So that was more what we determined. And, and we determined it. If you're vomiting, if there's, you know, Coke colored urine, if there's like some pretty clear, okay, you should stop. And so now I'm at that stage of like knowing when to stop because my brain is so hardwired just to keep going and pushing through. And, um, I do know the difference between pain from discomfort and pain from injury. And so I think that's important to differentiate, okay, is this a pain that's only going to get worse? Or is this a pain that might, you know, fade away with time? It seems pretty obvious that there's plenty of moments that you've learned from experience of like, all right, I got through that. And I was able to keep going. And that will just another another fortification in like the mental fortress of like, I can keep going when stuff gets tough because I've done it before and here we are and I can revisit all those experiences. Have you also learned from those moments where maybe you didn't stick it out and maybe you learned from regret at certain points? I mean, I wouldn't say I regret anything. There are definitely things that went wrong. Like... One of my events, I was training for six months for this bicycle race called Race Across America. And with my friend, we were basically going to nonstop bike. And so we'd be leapfrogging and doing like 200 miles each day. So he'd do a 40 mile thing, then I'd do 40 mile, then he'd do. And, and so nonstop until we reached the other side of the country with like a crew. And I broke my pelvis. So it didn't turn out how we intended, but I could finish on a hand bike. Oh. Oh. And we had some friends help us out. So it was like a five person team and, and we made it across in seven days. And I was like, that's how I got the name, the nickname hamster girl, because it was like a little or gerbil girl, because it was, it was the dorkiest hand bike that <laughs> I found from someone who like cycled around the world with it 20 years ago. It was, it was very nice that we, we found it, but it was definitely not the best bike for, for a race. But um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it regret, but there's always things that they say it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. And so, yeah, of course things go quote unquote wrong, but I think that makes for a better you know, a better story. And I don't know, that's what, what, that's the whole point. Like life can be very predictable. And, and sometimes it's fun just to go on adventure where you really are going into something you have no, no idea and no experience to, to say 
what will or won't happen. So what's the process by which you choose these adventures? And maybe it's not standardized and there's, there's, it comes up all different ways, right? You talk about how you train for six months for, for, you know, cycling across America. Obviously that's not a spontaneous decision. You were training for a long time and you've done so many other wild and crazy things that are just so awesome. How do you choose these? Because obviously, you know, by making a choice means you maybe you can't do something else. And if you want to do all these fun things, maybe making decisions can be tough. So how do you go? How do you go about it? They choose me. Oh, <laughs> what is okay. it like a cold, like a cold call? Like what happens? Okay. So for that bike across America, here's what happened. I was doing a photo shoot in the morning for the ocean rowing adventure. So I had my oars in my minivan. I wake up the next morning and my minivan is gone. Oh. I thought it was a joke. It wasn't a joke. Someone stole my, my van. And what also was in there was my bicycle. So I put something on Facebook where I was like, hey, someone sold my car and the oars were in there. But I really all, all I really care about is my bike. If you see someone with this bike, can you just let me know that it might be out there? And so what ended up happening is a bike shop and rotary club were so nice and generous and they gifted me this amazing bike. And that night I was meeting up with some cyclists that were doing this race across America and they're like, oh, we want you to join our team. And it was a four person team. And I was like, I've already done 80 miles a day. And so I texted my friend and was like, hey, you want to do it as a two person team? And the reason was because I had a brand new bike and I needed to do something cool with it. And I was just meeting these cyclists and bam, there you go. There's the next adventure. Like all the stars. Katie, that does not sound like it chose you. It It sounds like. I had a a brand new bike that needed an adventure and people were inviting me on an adventure and it did sound cool, but I would rather do it as a two person team. What are you going to do? What would you do if someone gave you a brand new bike? You would have to find an adventure for it. This is so awesome. I love this mindset. Like when you say, what would you do? This is like, bikes. Are we're not the different. same person. I mean, I would, I would do, I take that mindset to like a box of donuts. Like someone's like, gives me a box of donuts. Be like, what would you do? Would you not eat the whole box? <laughs> of course I ate the whole box, right? I don't do that to bikes or like, hey, I just saw a pair of roller skates on the road. I'm going to roller skate to North Carolina. Like I don't, feel like that's necessarily like a um this chose me moment however you obviously do so that's the most important part of this so even then right so like you like all right, i don't want to join this four-person team but i do want to do a two-person team um and just like all right you have like other states that you've gone across right so you've run across states you have cycled across states um was that purely like I'm just looking for something to do. Like, what, what are some other reasons or how these have come about? Okay, I'll give you the logic behind it. Um, so, like, I was originally planning on running across Ohio last year. And because of COVID, I was restricted in, like, traveling. So that's why I did it across Maine. But once you run so many miles, the last thing you want to do is circles. And I think... What's cool about cycling, swimming, running, rowing is the ability to explore, right? So it's the best of both worlds of like pushing the limits of our physical capabilities and exploring the big wide world that we live in and we barely even see or scratch the surface of everything on our planet that can be seen. And so it's like, I don't know. It's it, it, it combines these two very beautiful things. And so that's why I love um, and I've always liked maps like as a kid, like seeing and, and just the, yeah, the wonder and curiosity of seeing what you've never seen. And so I love the idea of, of doing that. And so Maine was um, this is where I'm based for the Coast Guard. And so. Maine was, yeah, an easy thing to choose because it's my home state. And then Vermont and New Hampshire, I did as building up to Maine. So Vermont across the state was, I think, 61 or 62. And then Vermont, 
or wait, New Hampshire was 61, 62 and Vermont was 74. Um, and Rhode Island is 26. <laughs> Katie's saying that because I made sure that she was aware on her highlights page on her website. She does not mention Rhode Island because people feel like they can just look past us. And I took personal affront to that as a lifelong Rhode Islander. Maybe I'll run across it and back. I've never you, done that. You can go north to south. How it doesn't miles? have to be 26 miles. What is it going to be, like 32 then? I don't. We're not. Listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit longer than that. Actually, I think Cat Bradley was actually last year. Cat Bradley was going to try to set the the FKT going from right along the Connecticut-Rhode Island line. There's a trail that goes from north to south. And she was going to try to set the FKT. What happened was they actually closed one of the state parks. Oh, no. So they stopped her like six miles in. They're like, can't do it. I mean, again, it was like a COVID restriction type thing. It was like before we were really aware of what was going on. It was like now it's like State Park is most like the best place you could possibly be during COVID. Like it was like the one place that should have stayed open. But um, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Actually, some people now will like go like um, like uh, from from south to north, kind of along the coast, and then go straight up that way. So kind of like the longest possible way. Actually, I have a friend, Maurice, who's been on the show a bunch of times, who's done that in the past. I think he's running Badwater soon. But um, so you've done both. You've like you've run marathons. You've qualified for Boston. You've done Ironman triathlons, like you've mentioned. You've also done these things where you plan the event out. Do you have a particular preference in terms of a pre-planned awesome adventure versus like a Katie Spots plan awesome adventure? I mean, my friends are kind of like encouraging me to go back to races. Any particular reason or just because they're sick of crewing you? They're like, you would do great if you like, you know, tried to not, you know, and I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Because you finished, did you finish sixth at the USATF 100 mile or um, 24 hour race? Uh. I don't know. Maybe I didn't. I might have. Like I've I've placed second on the last ultra race that I did, and who won it was like Connie Gardner, and she's like one of the best in the country and all that. But uh, I should know that. So external competition isn't something that really moves you. Well, okay. So another thing that's a part of, you know, my lifestyle choices and things is like minimalism and, and why would I like some of these races are $800 and I'm just like, really? I could just run that right now. And they, they'll give me a file that I could create myself. And so that's the part where I'm like, I'm raising money for charity. That could help a lot of people. I, I, I have a hard time justifying the expense of race fees. And I also like encouraging people to explore without having to pay anyone to do it. And so, yeah, I, I think I think it's great that people are organizing and taking the time. And I know it takes a lot of effort to do that. Um, so... That's just a little bit of the resistance. If they're all free, I'd be at everyone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. One of the, so you mentioned for the charity aspect of this. Just like I said, hey, how do you choose which, which adventures to do? There's unlimited choices, right? There are unlimited charities as well. And a lot of them are really good. So you have been, you know, this has been a significant part of your life and what you've decided to do. Um, tell me about your philanthropic efforts and what really moves you in that arena. Okay, so I have never walked for dirty water. I've never been without clean water. I've always had access to clean water. And it was living in Australia that I started learning about the water crisis because they had like a 10-year drought and it was at the height of it where they were getting restrictions on when they could water their lawn or if they could or wash their cars. And so there was this perpetual fear of like, oh, is the water going to run out? Or, or And so it was fresh on my mind. And then one of my professors mentioned that the wars of the future will be on water. And in some countries, it's already the case. And so I was learning this when I was 19 or 20. And 
I just remember like going home and learning more and realizing that one in six people on the planet didn't have clean water and just racking my brain. Like I've been on this planet for 20 years and I've never heard of this one in six people that of the planet we share. And so, um, it really hit me at the core when you think like we have cars and airplanes and technology and, and yet people don't have water. And so I like that you bring up like that. Of course, there's so many great causes. And what's awesome about water is that water helps with education. Like a lot of kids don't go to school because they have to collect the water or a lot of kids will miss school because they're sick because they're, drinking dirty water. And so it's education, it's health, it's environment, it's women empowerment, it's, it really touches all aspects of life. And so the good news is, I've been doing stuff for clean water for about a decade. And I've never had anyone say, No, I don't think people should have clean water. Like I, it's so universal need. And there are a lot of pro- problems that we don't know the solution, but with clean water, there are proven solutions that aren't even that expensive. And so when you see a problem that has solutions and simply needs the funding to implement these projects, it's hard not to want to do something. And like $30 often can help one person get clean water, sanitation and hygiene education. So I don't know any other investment that could make that big of an impact than, than that. So yeah, it's, uh, since 2010, when I started getting involved, it's been able to, um, all the adventures have been able to help 30,000 people get clean water. And so I've been able to track the projects and hopefully at some point, um, starting next fall, I'll be able to start, you know, visiting some of those projects. And Katie, thank you for all of that. That is remarkable work on, on your end and, and, and truly an inspiration to, to a lot of people. And I love the, I love the idea of, of root cause philanthropy, right? Um, not that, again, there's a lot of great philanthropy out there. And there's a lot of great people doing fantastic work in a lot of different areas. Um, but the root cause philanthropy to kind of set someone up for other, um, you know, for, for the rest of their life or to just put them in a position to succeed right from the start or just eliminate the other things, just eliminate the negatives sometimes um, can be uh, so vital. So thank you for everything you're doing. It's amazing how water is like such a big part of your life, even personally and professionally, right? You mentioned before you're in the, you're not, you're in the United States Coast Guard as well. Is that something that you would have imagined, you know, going back 20 years? Um, I mean, I was interested in my early, in my twenties, um, I'm 34 now. And I, I was just so distracted by all these crazy, great adventures that I, I had a hard time imagining that making that kind of commitment. And so it, it was something that I kind of had in the back of my mind. And I think it, yeah, definitely aligns with my passion for water, for helping others and serving something bigger than myself. So, um, yeah. That's all right. So let's talk about your most recent adventure. We can talk about all the adventures, but again, this is not going to be the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, so let's talk about the most recent one, 11 marath- eleven ultra marathons in 11 days across the state of Ohio. That is an awesome, awesome feat. So let me ask you this question. How does someone prepare for something like that? Um, don't do the splits. Don't do the splits. Yeah, just don't do it. I, I couldn't train because I did the splits. When I was on Joe Rogan, he was like, I told him about how I also would like to do the splits. And he's like, oh, yeah, you could do that in 30 days. You could do that. No problem. So I left and I was like, cool. He, he believes in me. And I tried and I injured myself because I tried oh, no. too hard. So the best thing I could do was nothing <laughs> for six weeks. Fingers crossed. That's how I trained. Oh my gosh. All right. So you really banked on your lifetime of fitness at that point doing Perfect. like, yeah, you, know, I've you, been you my whole life. Yeah. You, it's not like you were going like couch to running across Ohio. 
You you had built up a lot of fitness and you've done a lot of miles and things yeah, like that. That's okay. what I told myself. Yes, that these are the things I I did remind myself of. But you no, know, that was very difficult. Like I've never been injured right before a big event. So let's talk about the logistics then. Because obviously you were injured going into this, which is not ideal. But you big goals. All right, let's, let's do this. Let's make it happen. What has to be figured out ahead of time going into this, not only in terms of the logistical stuff, but also delegating like, OK, I know you have like a small team like, all right, you're going to be doing this and you're going to be doing that and figuring out exactly who's doing what in case there's unforeseen circumstances and stuff like that. Yeah. So the way I broke it down is like we, we have four things happening here. We have a run, right? I'm running six or seven hours every day for 11 days. We have a world record. So Guinness has all these like rules and requirements on what they need and how they need it to be documented and photos and videos and witnesses and breaks and and then there's a charity fundraiser. So that meant like there were certain events. And then the last piece was like a film. So there was someone doing a film during it. So yes, it was a run, but there were also lots of other parts that were moving. And the reason why I felt like ex particularly excited about running Ohio and running this route is that there was a there is a nature trail from Cincinnati to Cleveland. So that meant that I was on the trail for the most part definitely got lost a few times because it's like a rails to trails, but there's like sections where it cuts off and picks up. And, and so, um, and yeah, so, so the, the, the two main people that were there the whole way was my friend as the main crew and the filmmaker on a e-bike. So he was able to, you know, kind of support as crew and help with some of the fueling and in, in the in-betweens, but I met up with my friend every five miles by the van. And so she had her van and we were doing Airbnbs along the way. And every morning there was a witness uh, that had to be like a government person. And at the end of the day, another witness to be like, this really happened. And, um, and then in Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati, there were, um, the charity came and we were doing like 5k events so people can run the first few miles in the morning and coffee and bagels. And, and then people also joined at the end and at, at like the, the finish in Cleveland. But, um, yeah, it was a lot, but I just, um, I think one of the things that really helped me is, figuring out my fueling and kind of sticking to a schedule with that. And, you know, a lot of ultra runners have GI or even runners can have GI issues. And I stuck to tailwind the whole time, 300 calories an hour. And then I had bananas and watermelon just because um, I needed to eat real food at the end of the day and if I went from liquid, 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 my stomach would be so small that it would kind of like, I just needed my stomach to expand a little throughout the day so it wasn't too much at night. And watermelon is a great thing to have because it's so loaded with water that you're going to get that hydration element too with it. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that going all liquid or mostly liquid, um, I, I mean, I was super hydrated and Hydration was never an issue because all my calories were coming from liquid or essentially, yeah. All right, let's talk about time of year you did it. So you did this the end of June, yeah, into July, I know. which presents problems, it right? Does. I mean, not that, not that yeah. there could be weather any time of year, but it's going to usually, bank on, it's going to be hot, right? End of June. So let's talk about that and how you um, handled that part of the process. Um, so... If there were two things I was going to change about this journey, one would be doing it in the fall because the it would be so pretty and cool with like the leaves changing and it wouldn't be, I mean, it was a hundred a few days with the heat index and oh my God. Um, it was fine. It worked out. But You are so tough, Katie Spots. You're like, it's hundred. It was fine. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even. All right. Keep going. Keep going. I'm sorry. Okay. 
Um, and then the other thing I would have changed is um, I know a lot of people who I talk to about running and they're like, oh, but your knees and your joints and, and I've never experienced that it, until now. And now I was like, whoa, I, I feel it in my knees. And so I think it was a trail, but it was paved. Um, and so I think it would have been a lot better if it was like crushed or gravel because that's a lot of pounding, but the heat. Yeah, obviously it was not ideal, but it worked out with the filmmaker and it worked out with my friend's schedule and it worked out with my work schedule. So we just kind of had to work with what worked and, um, heat the way that, I mean, Thankfully, it was it was kind of covered and shaded. It was kind of like a tunnel of trees the whole way. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, right. the shade element must have been nice. But did it trap the did it trap the heat or humidity in there too? I mean, I didn't think of it like that. I thought more shade. Like as long as I have some shade, I've heard once that like if you wear too much sunscreen, it prevents your ability to sweat. I don't know if that's true. Carrie Goucher said that on the live broadcast of the um, of the Olympic trials. Oh, yeah. She was talking about, she's like, she didn't, she didn't just mention sunscreen, though. She's like, you don't want to wear sunscreen. You want to wear makeup. You don't want to wear deodorant. You don't want to wear anything on your skin in these instances because it's going to stop, like, your skin from breathing. And it was like, oh, man, like, who would Yeah. I think it was the deodorant part that became the soundbite. Oh, that's so funny. Well... <laughs> I, I've heard that and it always made sense. Like, oh, that, I mean, but, but then I, I question what kind of sunscreen, if there's other better and worse. And, but anyways, yeah. So the only other things that I did for the heat was like, I wore, um, uh, like a headband and I'd fill it with ice and like, I'd hold ice in my hands. I'd put ice down my pants. I'd, anywhere everywhere ice and so that helped and my watch tells me if I'm like acclimatized to the heat and it said I was so I'd be like body it says you're good <laughs> like <laughs> I, I really like shut up shut up body my watch knows better than you yeah. <laughs> well I think you know you go slower but I you know in the heat but I did do some hot Ironmans and I was discouraged by it. And I think I regained some confidence in my body's ability to adapt because in some of the Ironmans, I only had one or two days to go from Ohio to Texas or like, yeah. And so, yeah, no acclimation. Yeah. All right. So regarding pacing, because I was wondering about this because you were remarkably consistent with your pacing, you were kind of like hovering around that 1150 to 1210 range a lot of the time. And I was curious about this because it would seem like obviously you want to run at an easy pace for obvious reasons. With that said, the slower you go, the more time you're out there and the more time you're out there presents more problems potentially like with the pounding or just the time on feet element. So it's like you kind of want to get this over with, I would assume, but you also don't want to be like pushing it for other reasons. So how was it how is it navigating the ideal pace situation in there? Um, I mean, you you nailed it on the head with like, yeah, finding that balance. But I mean, I did kind of look at heart rate a little bit, mainly just to see how I was recovering or see if I was, you know, hydrating because if it was spiking, but yeah, I think you just kind of feel it out. Like your body. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I, my pace sometimes is like fast enough to get there, but slow enough to see it. And so I was very, I think it's just like a, a game of patience. Like even if you have an extra dose of energy being trying to, you know, hold that and making the choice to run solo the whole time probably was to my benefit for not going faster. But, um, I don't know. I felt like a lot of it was just like flow state where you're just, going and you're not thinking and you're just in the zone and like that's what's really great about running you don't really need to think at all but you do need to focus but 
not really like you could just kind of get in that zone and um I did also listen to music and sing a lot for some of the days which helped but um I I guess that's it I mean I listened to a metronome the whole time that was probably the one thing that helped me stay consistent so I do know I'm right leg dominant and so sometimes I'll overstride and um I st- I even if I was listening to music I would still listen to the metronome so I would stay between 170 and 180 and I've seen myself in race pictures and sometimes like one shoulder's higher than the other and it's usually because I'm um yeah like using one side more than the other so I think the metronome was the biggest thing that I used to keep me at a consistent pace. And then just drinking. I There wasn't an hour I didn't have fuel. So Now, is there pressure involved in this for you? And I say this as you're, ra- you're out there raising money, right? You're calling your shot. You didn't like surprise people after the fact you i mean you the announcement came relatively quickly before the adventure started but it was out there that you were doing this right and you were going along the way hey meet up with katie um obviously you've done a lot of this kind of stuff in the past so it's not novel necessarily but in those moments where you're struggling is there this external pressure beyond the internal pressure because it is out there and known and you're in a sense doing this for others because of the charity element I mean, yes, and sometimes people end up raising more if they fail. Like, so, (laughs) but no, of course, like, I wasn't in this alone. There were a lot of other people who were sending me their prayers and sending me their encouragement. And so, yeah, I might have been doing all the running, but there was a lot of positivity and encouragement for me to do this. And I never felt alone. I never felt like I was without the support. And I know I have a really solid group of friends that if I called them one day and was like, what did I get myself into? They would have probably been like, you're, you'll be fine. It's you're good. Like, so, um, yeah, yes, maybe pressure, but I would say it's more like, encouragement and having like a safety net and and I do like being accountable for whatever I'm doing so it definitely you know help, helps me in that way too all right you've been so generous with your time this is so great all right I'm gonna ask two more questions all right so first one is simple it's like hey people are going to want to follow along with what you're doing after they hear this if they didn't already know you so where can they do that um, yeah, so it's just on Facebook or Instagram. Facebook, it's hello, Katie Spots, and Instagram, it's just Katie Spots. And that spots with a Z in case no one's like, you already know that you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the title, but throw that out there in case you forgot. Um, last thing, if you're not, it seems, and it seems like you always are training for something, but if you're not, or if it's kind of early in the process, what is a typical week of running look like for you? So, like, mainly I do, like, one long run on Sunday or Saturday, Um, but... And what does that mean? Like, what's a long run for someone who's, for you? I mean, long run is, like, it can mean so many things to so many different people. I mean, like, 20 or more, but it depends if I'm training. If I'm not training for anything, I, I mean, usually it's one midday week and one weekend run, but I, I really want to incorporate more weights and, um, the, all the things that I need to be able to run. So I'm, uh, yeah, I really, even running ultras, I, I usually only do one long run and one short run. There you go. Just uh, uh, one of the many amazing things in this episode, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're someone who is just like, doing so many things incredibly well. And it's just an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I told you, I told you this was going to be a good one. <laughs> what an, an amazing, amazing athlete. Big shout out to Prevenex for sponsoring the show. Head over to Prevenex.com today and save 15% using code RUNNER15 on your first order, especially with Joint Health Plus. I cannot recommend that supplement enough. So thank you so much for listening. 
and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.